This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, episode 085. Welcome to the show created by vets featuring absolutely no pets. This is the Veterinary Project Podcast, hosted by Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Our resident veterinarians have swapped out their stethoscopes in favor of microphones to bring you the Veterinary Project Podcast, a show focused on real conversations aimed to connect this amazing profession full of remarkable people. Through the sharing of collective stories and wisdom and connecting over the many unique challenges we face, we invite you to join our community of veterinary professionals leading intentional lives. And now, here are the hosts of the Veterinary Project Podcast, Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light. Hey everyone, welcome back, Dr. Michael Bug, Dr. Jonathan Light, and Jonathan, here's a big round of applause for you. I know this is something you've wanted to do, you and the family have wanted to do for a long time. You officially have a place in Fernie, which I know is your happy place. Tell us about that. That? Yeah, for anybody, and 30% of our listeners now, according to Anchor.fm, are in the States, they have no idea where Fernie is. So Fernie is in British Columbia, which is about three hours drive from Calgary. And we have been going there for years now, checking out different spots, staying in hotels, Airbnbs, lakes, etc. That's our happy spot. And we finally rented a place there, which we're pretty excited about. And this is kind of a intro into, do we love it enough to go and buy a spot? Yeah. So a spot popped up on their, the BC renters on Facebook and I thought, ah, it's probably gone, but I'm going to text them anyway. Two weeks later, we've got a signed lease as of this morning. Pretty pumped. Nice. And then just to further elaborate, Fernie is like a vacation, you know, resort destination, like mountains, high quality skiing, also lots yep. of lakes. Biking in the summer, uh, super cool scene in the downtown area, which is really small. Uh, it's, it's definitely taken on a life of its own. Uh, you know, you'd always say, wish I would have bought there six years ago, wish I would have bought there four years ago, wish I would have bought there 15. And here we are testing the rental pool because, you know, if we're going to buy there one day, we better make sure that it's a place we want to be for a bit. Yeah. I think that's a great move to rent. And you said, uh, you have it for seven months. So you got, you got lots of time to check it out and decide if you want to, you know, pull the trigger and buy a, a second home as a vacation home. That's it. So lots of fun for the kids over the summer and into, like I said, being able to bike and hike and do everything that we want to. And also we were talking about it. It's an opportunity cost because both from a price as well as timing standpoint, you're going to be spending more time down there. So what do you have to give up? And we said, yeah, let's go for it. These chances don't come up too often. We tried to get one last year, didn't fall through. I mean, it fell through. And then for the whole rest of the year, nothing available that made sense. So you got to, you know, sometimes jump when uh, it arises and in this case yeah it worked yeah and for you at your stage though with your your kids these are these are memory making years because they're old enough to do stuff right and they're still young enough that they want to do that with mom and dad right so it is ideal and Candace and I have talked about that a lot for us to be able to get to the pool with them to be able to hang out with others that are down there in that same setup this is the time and and it's going to fly by and Jackson hockey now Rachel hits kindergarten next year. If there's a lot of changes that have already happened, let's take some time together. Yeah. Good so for pretty you. Pretty pumped happy. about it. Good for Thanks, you. Bud. Very happy Appreciate for you. you bringing that up. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think yep. it's a great move because it's so, uh, 
it's so easy to get focused. And we talk about it constantly on this podcast. You know, what are we doing to drive forward and success and business and investing and blah, blah, blah. And at the end of the day, all of it really comes down to, you know, spending the time with the people that matter most. And so if you don't actually take advantage of those opportunities to spend that time together, what are you doing it all for? You know, that's just my opinion. I'm not trying to put words in your mouth, but. No, no, it's great. You and McGregor had a awesome, I think it's crypto.com or something. I don't even know what crypto commercial it is, but it's really, oh, it's Expedia. That's what it is. And right now it's talking about, hey, you could go buy this and you could go buy that. And then he opens a door and it opens up onto a beach. You won't, and you'll forget about most of those things you buy, but you won't forget about the experiences you have. And that's coming to this conversation. Yes, there's dollars involved. Yes, you're not putting it towards some other investment. But at the end of the day, those experiences, we are not going to get them back at this time in life. Okay, that's fantastic. I, 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 love, I love that perspective. Okay. I've got more of them, but we'll just have to, you know, leave for another day. We'll save them. We got, we got hundreds and hundreds of episodes to go, man. So we'll just keep oh, ripping these every Wednesday. Dude, we've got it. And, and the amount of stories that we're listening to these days between you and me, we've got some fodder to work with. Okay. Well, I mean, another great episode in a, in a strange way. I'm also a little bit sad because this is part four of four of our four-part mini-series with Dr. Jordan Woodsworth. They were phenomenal. We said that on the on part three. We'll be re-listening to them. Uh, in this episode, we are going to be diving into empathy. I mean, I, I it's amazing. This episode, exactly. It, it just sort of, it's like it was a tool belt and Jordan was laying tools in them. And then this episode just shows us how when you're in situations, you reach in there, grab what tools you need, Sometimes you have to lean on multiple of these skill sets at one time, you know, to, to navigate the, the complex situations of veterinary medicine. And so this was a fun Love one. your analogy. It's perfect. Get that tool belt, tool belt tightened up because it's a good one. Okay. Well, I don't think we need to go any further. Jordan, if you're listening to the intros on these, thank you very much. All of these were fantastic. We will be bugging you again for some other mini series on some other topic at some point, but let's dive in part four on empathy, Dr. Jordan Woodsworth. Hey everyone, welcome back. Part four of our four part mini series here with Dr. Jordan Woodsworth. Today, we're gonna jump into empathy and I'm gonna throw it right away over to Jonathan because between these, these part three and part four, we just had a great conversation around active listening, how we can improve it, and how that ties into empathy. So, Jonathan, share some of your, your learnings from part three with us. Well, thanks, Mike, and welcome back, Jordan. I'm excited about this conversation of taking the last conversation we had around active listening over to empathy. And what I recognize in that conversation is the apology I need to make to my wife about a conversation that we had last night. And what had happened is, I did not provide active listening skills and or even open up to it. And it was with a, um, an emotionally charged conversation, which went to a level that for both of us didn't need to get there. And we were talking about this into the, in the pre-recording of some of the skills and tactics that I could have used instead. And then you had made a great comment into how hard or how easy it is to fall into that with intimate relationships. 
habits and judgments and preconceived notions. And that's what's exactly happened here in this conversation I had with my wife. But that's so relevant to the employer workplace as well, too. So I really appreciate that conversation. It just sprung up what had happened in the last 24 hours. I went, oh, shit. Now I've got an apology to give. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I also want to, you know, uh, agree with you on the fact that this is really difficult. <laughs> um, you know, like I've been with my partner for 24 years. And so there's like a long history of stories we've told ourselves about one another, right? And arguments that we've had over and over and over again. Um, and so I really suck at active listening often when we're having arguments or, or heated conversations, because um, it is really, really hard. And so I think that a good thing to remember for people is that like, don't beat yourself up if you can't always harness these skills because they are really, really difficult and they do take practice. So you have to be consciously trying to implement them. They don't happen on their own. So this is why we're having these conversations and doing these episodes to give people the tools to do that practice. And do you think they're harder? And I'm, I'm putting you on the spot here. Ben asked us, do you think they're harder with those that you know the best or maybe are the oh, most intimate sure. or in the employee workspace, those that you've, you know, been around for the longest because of those preconceived notions and habits and judgments and all the rest that goes into it. Yeah, and absolutely. And like you mentioned, a lot of things are emotionally charged because of previous experiences we've had with these people. Um, And sometimes they're the highest stakes relationships too, right? So like those long-term workplace relationships, because you want that, that sort of dynamic or the, or the relationship with that person to be preserved. And still there are these, you know, background stories Um, and same with our intimate relationships, right? We, we have these, it's a really high stakes situation where we all want to protect ourselves and protect the relationship. And sometimes that leads to things getting more heated than they need to. Um, But this is also sometimes reflects our stories about ourselves. And that's the other piece that I think sometimes comes up in the workplace too, is sometimes as veterinarians, we have a little bit of imposter syndrome, as I'm sure you'll both agree. Um, And so if we're being challenged by either a colleague or by a client on something that we've recommended or something that we've done, that can often just reinforce that imposter syndrome and make it very difficult to harness these skills of active listening and empathy, um, and then be able to communicate those. And that's where some of these conversations can get out of hand and get more heated than they need to. I, I, me, Rosalie and I see like a couples therapist and I also see an individual therapist and they talk a lot about, you know, subjectively, if you're say six out of 10 or higher emotionally, they're like, you, you all, you got to shut it down. Cause you're not going to be able to access those skills, even if you have them right. It's kind of like that piece gets lost. So when you get in these emotionally heightened situations, you know, so even if you're a good active listener, you might slip into being a poor active listener, right? So it's kind of, um, I don't know what the saying is there, but you got to put in the work, like build the habit and have that preparation so that when these events happen, you're better able to respond. Yeah, because it's more subconscious. It's like we talked about with open-ended questions, right? If you're practicing those outside of the four walls of your clinic and you're implementing those in your everyday conversations, you're much more likely to utilize them when you're taking a history from someone. And so that's where we want these skills to get to is to a more subconscious level where it's the automatic, it's the automatic thing you grab for. Mm-hmm. Perfect. Okay. Well, let's, let's sort of, I know you did a, an excellent little hand gesture last episode there of kind of bringing active listening and empathy together. So let's, let's connect those dots here, see how they fit together and then dive deeper into empathy. Okay, and this is where I will finally answer Johnny's question about how you do the two together. (laughs) 
So last time we talked about active listening or reflective listening, and I mentioned that it is um, essential in all communication events in which we're trying to understand another person. So that's the, the, the heart of the goal with active listening is to, to listen, to integrate what a person has said and to convey your level of understanding about what that is. But we can also take that, move beyond this understanding of the situation that the client experiences and then move into an appreciation of what that experience is like. So how does that experience feel? Um, and we do that through expressions of empathy. And so um, anybody who likes Brene Brown, and I'm in that camp, uh, might have seen her little, she has a couple of videos online that talk about a few of these things. And one of them is about empathy. Um, and so if you just Google Brene Brown empathy, you'll get this little three minute video. And it's a little short with some animated animals and her doing a voiceover. And she talks about that empathy is feeling with people. And the animation that is used in the cartoon is there's this bear and he's feeling, you know, having a conversation with a fox who's sharing something difficult. And that difficult emotion shows up as a rain cloud. And the bear takes the rain cloud and puts it in his pocket. So he's taking that emotion and experiencing it for himself. And so empathy is vulnerable. And this is what Brene Brown says, because it makes us kind of occupy that space of that difficult emotion for a short time. Okay. And so this is where we talk about um, empathy fatigue versus compassion fatigue, and that empathy is, it can often be the thing that fatigues as opposed to compassion. Um, and so, yeah. So the empathic connection um, that it, it creates this safe space for the client where, or for the other person that we're communicating with, where they feel that they're being seen, they're being heard, and whatever it is that they're feeling is being accepted. Okay. Can I jump in there for a second? Yeah. Because I was, I was, I am a little bit confused and I've gone through empathy training and follow up and know that I still have a long way to go in there. You said something at the end about um, being accepted. And yet in the discussion around Brene Brown's YouTube video that was taking on the feeling of the other individual. Can you describe the difference there? And I think that is very important. Yeah. So, so what we're basically saying, so to me, that means we're validating. So we're saying that I, you know, I, I see you. Um, I, I imagine that, that it feels, you know, X way to, to be experiencing this and that feeling is okay here, right? Like this is a safe space to experience that feeling. Do you need to take that feeling on yourself to be empathetic? So if that person is sad, do you therefore need to be sad to be empathetic to that person? So I don't think that we necessarily have to step into, like if a client is really distraught and they're like sobbing, for example, right? We don't have to do that along with them. But we, so, so I think that the, the way that Brene Brown talks about this is that we have to, we have to access that feeling in ourselves. So we know what it's like to feel that way. We've all had that experience at some point in our lives. And so in order to feel and there, you know, then express empathy, we have to recall what that was like for us and, and experience a piece of it. Right. So we all know that when we see someone who's uh, you know, actively upset, like say it's, it's a loved one, right? We're going to feel a little bit of that ourselves most of the time. And so that's what empathy is. 
And so, but feeling empathy and expressing empathy are two very different things. And so this is where the skills come in because we have to be able to not only access that, but then communicate the accessing of that and then the, you know, the, the acceptance and the hearing and all of that jazz. Yeah. Yeah. And, and sorry to jump in, Jordan. Uh, and this may come later here. When, when I hear this, I'm thinking, how do you like walk that tight line of empathy without slipping into like empathetic distress yourself. And that's such an important thing to think about, because again, I think that's a really common issue for us in these caring fields, whether it's veterinary medicine, human medicine, you know, therapy, whatever it happens to be. Um, And so I think that, and I'm, you know, certainly I'm not a therapist and I'm not an expert in that field, but my understanding is um, that we, we just have to have boundaries. <laughs> and so that means that we, we don't allow ourselves to get wholly wrapped up in that other person's experience because it's not ours. And in some ways, it's almost disrespectful to do that, right? Like we don't need to take that person's experience and have it as our own. We talked about this with active listening too. Um, and so so I think it's just a matter of you know, this is a situation where I have this opportunity to convey my understanding um, and build this connection through an empathic statement. But I'm also allowed to leave that there then. Like, I don't have to take that with me. I don't have to, you know, have this derail my day. So building some tools around, say you're having a really difficult conversation with a client where you've used, you've accessed the, the, you know, the the uncomfortable feeling in yourself and you've, you've used your communication skills to convey your, your empathy for them. Um, You know, building some skills around how do you now go from that situation to the happy bouncy puppy appointment, remembering that empathy can be used in both difficult and joyful situations. And so empathy is not just a tool for sadness. Um, So it's a tool for the whole spectrum of human emotion and experience. And this is one of the things that I think is really important to get at because so often we see it as the sad, the sad stuff. Even as you said that, I started smiling because it, that's mm-hmm. how I think of it too. It's like, no, it's a sad thing. It's, it's for negative emotions. It's not for happy emotions. Right. And that's, and that's, I think one of the big misunderstandings. Um, and so, so we will get to talking about empathy and joy. Cause I think those, that's a really important thing too. Um, so one of the things that can happen for us, I think when we are trying to convey empathy and be empathic in our practice and in our lives in general, is that we can sometimes think that that means we've got to agree with everything that the other person's experiencing and that we've got to accept behaviors associated with the other person's experience, emotional experience. And that's bullshit. You don't. So it's okay for people to feel things, right? Any emotion is okay and valid. But the behaviors that are sometimes associated with those emotions are not always okay and valid. Um, So uh, again, one of my favorite one of my favorite lines that came from the social work world was, "It's okay for someone to be angry. It's not okay for them to be an asshole." <laughs> so you can be angry, you can be upset, but you can't be abusive. Um, and so this is where, again, within the clinic environment, having really, really clear, uh, you know, policies even around what's okay and what's not okay. To, to happen on an interpersonal level, both within your team and also between your team members and clients um, is hugely important. 
because sometimes we can get down that slippery slope of, okay, well, I'm being empathic. So that means I've got to accept whatever comes at me from, from our clients, not the case. Um, so don't allow yourself to be abused. You can be empathic and also have boundaries around a way that a person is treating you. So yeah. that's important. Yeah, yeah, that is fascinating. I'm, I'm really chuckling and you, I mean, you were in, and are innately good at this. Like I've, I've worked in a clinic with you, right? And you can accept a lot of opinions and then be like, I'm just going to stop you now. Like now you've crossed the line. You're, you're infringing on boundaries that I'm setting here. Um, so, I mean, it's impressive to, to see you put this into, into practice. Well, and I think, um, I, yeah, I think that that's one of the, one of the important pieces of, of this puzzle, right? Is just to, to have those two things hand in hand, the boundaries and the communication skills. Um, so, so yeah, I, like I said, you know, seeking to understand and helping the other person feel understood doesn't mean accepting or agreeing with everything that's going on for them. Um, but we also have to recognize, and thank you for that compliment, by the way, Mikey, that's very lovely. Um, <laughs> um, is that empathy isn't easy. So I think, you know, we've kind of made that fairly clear already to this point, but it, it's not always an easy thing. It can feel super friggin' vulnerable to access something that might be painful in your own experience in a, a situation with a client or a coworker or even, you know, our partners, whatever it happens to be. So it can feel really vulnerable. Um, it can also be emotional. And sometimes, again, you know, if we are accessing that feeling in ourselves and then, you know, it, it, it kind of snowballs, which can sometimes happen, um, that can be, a, you know, a combination of, of vulnerability and like kind of scary emotions um, that we're not comfortable feeling or experiencing with people, uh, you know, in that environment. Um, and then the other piece about empathy is that it can be super humbling. <laughs> So when we're doing empathy well, what it means is that we are trying to take another person's perspective. So trying to understand or imagine what it might be like to be in that person's shoes. And so we're going to be in that experience often reminded that we don't know everything, that our experience in the world isn't the only one that matters, isn't the only valid one, and that our perspective might not be the only right one either. Um, and so that can be sometimes humility is friggin' uncomfortable too, right? So because um, sometimes our, 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 you know, our self-confidence and our pride have been kind of hard won. And so we don't want to backpedal on that at all. Um, and so just remembering like validating that empathy is hard, I think is a really important piece of this puzzle too. Mm -hmm. it's, it's interesting, like thinking about that and stepping into it, you know, okay, you, you have permission, it's hard, you're going to, you know, have times where you struggle and, and mess up. But even how we open this, like Jonathan's example, immediately after part three, I mean, that's the skill you want is to be able to be like, well, I got that one wrong. But next time I can do better. And it's like, if you have that skill, over a body of work of your lifetime, like you're going to get to a point where you're pretty damn empathetic. Yeah. And you're like, telling me there's, you're telling me I have a chance. Mike. There's hope okay, for you, Jonathan. Throwing, there's he's hope. throwing compliments out there nonstop today. It's just a good day. It's just a good day. Great day. <laughs> Look at his smiling face. Just a good looking dude. But like, I think that it's really important for us to also like be gentle with ourselves a little bit, right? Because all this stuff is difficult and we're all works in progress. So we're going to screw shit up like over and over and over again. One of my favorite analogies from my therapist um, 
was that because I, I think I asked her at one point, like, why does this shit keep coming up in my life? Like, why do I keep going over the same stuff over and over again? I feel like I'm going backwards. And she's like, no, no, no. The, the experience of life is like a spiral. So you're going to you're going to at one point be over here on the spiral and at another point be over here. And this is where that difficult experience you're talking about is. So you're going to come back to that over and over and over again, but from a slightly different perspective, having gained slightly different skills. And over time, you'll find that that experience changes for you. But that's what life is, right? We're just kind of, you know, retracing our steps over and over and over again with a slightly different angle along the path until we get to a point where maybe that piece is resolved if we're lucky, right? Um, and then we move on to the next thing. And that's what life is because we screw up and then we learn from it. It's just the way that it is. So being gentle with ourselves because we as veterinarians tend to be like uber perfectionists, right? That's a really, I really like that analogy, Jordan, because I do the same thing where it's like, why haven't I figured this out yet? You know, and so th that makes a ton of sense. And then being gentle with ourselves. And I always find it funny, you know, sometimes at veterinarians, especially we can be harder on ourselves, but then flipping it when other people mess up and being like, hey, if, if we're allowed to mess up and it's expected that we're going to, the same goes for, you know, our clients. Yeah. And our clients are allowed to have a bad day and, you know, show up and be jerks, but they just have to understand that they're not allowed to be jerks in the hospital. <laughs> they can't treat, they can't treat our staff that way, but also like they're human. So they're going to mess up sometimes. Right. So I really like coming back sometimes to this research evidence around these communication skills, because I think some of us really want and need that in order to kind of, you know, commit to, to changing the ways that we do things. So what I'll say is that um, empathy is been, has been called the single most important skill in building client relationships and leading to positive outcomes. Okay, so that's my like big statement. But empathy statements in a study that was done at the University of Guelph, empathy statements are expressed in only about 7% of veterinary appointments. So we're, we're generally quite empathic people. We just suck at communicating it. So this is a really big, this is a really big deficit, right? So we're, we have 93% of the time we have missed opportunities for empathy. I hadn't heard that stat before that it, that's shocking to me. Um, you know, like that, the, the reframe on is like, what an opportunity. That's what I see in my clinics. I go, Okay, so if that's the case and 93% of instances where I'm missing, what's the low-hanging fruit of communication education that I need to, as a leader, be doing to therefore improve all of our lives, decrease client complaints, improve compliance, all the rest that comes with it? Yeah. Yeah. And for anybody who sort of is asking about, like, the statistical power of this study, that it was 300 videotaped client vet visits. So it was a pretty high N. Uh, you know, in the general scheme of veterinary studies. Uh, so, you know, we, it's, it's a real number. Okay. But again, we do, I think, express empathy in lots of different ways. Often it's nonverbal. Um, most of us are naturally empathetic. Uh, again, gestures, facial expressions, tones of voice, like the thing where we'll go, mm-hmm, <laughs> you know, like we've all done that before, right? And like leaned forward and done the like furrowed brow and like the sad eyes and those types of things, right? Because we're trying our darndest to express empathy. 
Um, but again, empathic statements do the best job of making a client feel seen, heard, and accepted in their experience. So this is where we have to learn how to do those. And the connection that is built through empathic statements really drives the success of our relationships with our clients in the moment and then moving forward as well. So this is my sales pitch. <laughs> this is why we got to do this. Okay. So, so how do we do it? Um, hard for me, talk less and listen more. So again, this is coming back to that, you know, hand in hand relationship between active listening and empathy. It's really important that we listen if we want to be able to express empathy. Okay. And then I'm coming back to another thing that we talked about in the last episode. We need to focus on listening to connect, not to argue or prove yourself correct. So Johnny, this is where that would have probably been the useful tool, right? Like, you know, being able to have that be the underlying purpose. And I know for me too, in any argument that I've ever been in, most often I'm thinking about what's the next thing that I'm going to say that's going to make me the, like the right one at the end of all of this. Well, yeah, it's, you're, you're listening to respond. And what's funny is when you gave the example of those stats and then backed it up with, you know, okay, there was 300 studies. I could see how, how, you know, people could be like, if, if they felt, you know, attacked by like, oh, I'm not expressing empathy. They could easily be like, well, yeah, but that study's not valid, right? Like instead of like really listening to what you have to say, be like, wait a minute, I've got a counterpunch ready. You know, that's where I was kind of laughing in my head because I kind of did it a bit, but mostly I was like, wow, that's a shocking stat. And, and I think you're describing the state of the world right now too, Mike. And diversion and heaven forbid we should actually have a, a conversation without having to go to extremes of, well, you said that, I'm going to say this. I think this way from politics, so I must think this way, the other way. That yeah. This is unfortunately where we've gotten to right now, I feel. It feels like that. I don't want to go too much on a tangent where it's sometimes it's like, okay, you said something, I'm going to go a little more aggressive and then you'll yes. counter a little more aggressively and all of a sudden we're really far from where we started. And, you know, and I think that that's where when anger is a factor and defensiveness is a factor, I think that that's when empathy is the most difficult. Right. And I was having a conversation with a friend yesterday um, where this was exactly the conversation because there was defensiveness and there was kind of like sadness and rejection mixed up in what was happening with this person and a loved one. Um, and so, and, and this person was trying to access their empathy and having a really difficult time. Um, and this is where, again, like, you know, plugs for therapy all over the place, but this is where like having somebody whose job it is to help you sort through some of this stuff is super important because again, that helps us to figure out, okay, like, how do I, how do I go from this really difficult place of feeling defensive, feeling angry, you know, whatever it happens to be, and then move into being able to perspective take right to like imagine what it might be like to be in that person's shoes like what might be leading that person to behave in that way or make those choices and how might I you know behave similarly or differently if I were in that situation yeah this is in in our couples counseling Rosie and I we, we study with the therapist a lot of the Gottman Institute stuff right and the, and defensiveness just triggers blame which triggers emotions and then like we said earlier all these tools that we may normally have access to just disappear yeah yeah absolutely and that's the 
the good old Gottman's. Yeah, this is, <laughs> this is where all, like all those tools are so, so important, but also there's this acknowledgement that sometimes they're inaccessible to us um, when we're in a, in a tough spot. So, so getting back to, to how we do this, right? Practicing, demonstrating empathy, letting the other person go first when you're having a conversation is sometimes another really helpful tool. Um, and then again, using those active listening stems to let the other person know that you've heard and then done your best to understand before you move on. So allowing that bit of connection to happen, that bit of, you know, communicating understanding is really important before you go to the next topic or start trying to explain yourself. Um, because if we go straight into trying to explain ourselves, they've not feel felt heard and understood. And so then you're, you're just, you've lost all of the connection, right? Um, so we can sometimes feel, and again, in the veterinary context, we're always in a rush. It can feel like it's slowing the conversation down, but it, to our benefit, it can also reduce animosity or like the activation or temperature in the conversation and can actually save time overall. So it's very similar to what we talked about with the open-ended questions. Sometimes it can feel like it's taken a heck of a long time, but probably it's only gonna be an extra couple of minutes if that. <laughs> and so if that means that you save time overall, then it's a it's a heck of an investment, right? Well, save time, but also just save like all the emotional energy, you know, of a misunderstanding. And then you got all that sort of stuff that comes with that. Yeah, absolutely. So we talked earlier about these missed opportunities and that only 7% of veterinary visits contain an empathic statement, okay? We also talked previously about how empathy is not only a tool for sadness or difficult conversations, but it's also a tool for joyful experiences. Um, and so let's talk about those things as we're kind of getting to the end of our time. So um, when a client says something, right? When it's about their experience or if there's an emotion attached to it, that's an opportunity for empathy. Okay. So an example might be, um, you know, maybe you have put a, a dog on a medication for arthritis, right? So it had really bad osteoarthritis, it was limping, mobility was really poorly uh, affected. Um, and you've got the animal back for a recheck and their owner says something like, I can't believe the difference in Zach since he went on his own on this medication. He's back to his old self. Right. So an empathic statement might be, I'm so glad to see him looking so good. This is exactly the outcome we were wanting. Right. That's a happy circumstance. We get to feel happy with the client. Why not capitalize on that? Right. This is a great opportunity for empathy to not feel like it burns you out. Is a comment along the lines of, I can hear how happy you are in describing the way that this case has gone. Is that another empathetic? Because you're then therefore saying, I hear and allowing yep. them to counter or not or add to. And so that would be your active listening statement. Absolutely. Um, and so you're nailing it. Um, <laughs> and so, and then you might say like, I can imagine you just feel so relieved. Right. So That's I can hear how happy you are. I can imagine that it's just a real feeling of relief for you because I heard you before say how worried you were at how poorly Zach was doing. Right. I got to add, I can imagine it has to get yep. drilled into my uh, usage here. Yep. I can we imagine. Need this, we need to set a challenge for everybody who's listening to this. We will at the end. That's our job. <laughs> 
So another good example might be when things are challenging, right? So someone might say to you, another test, it feels like we're getting nowhere. I keep spending money and we're not getting any answers, right? We've all heard that. So, you know, we start with active listening. So we say, yeah, I hear how frustrating this has been for you. We've been on a long road together. And then empathy might be, I can imagine that it feels a little bit fruitless at this point in time. And like, we're just flailing in the dark, right? Because that's often how it does feel in these circumstances. And then let's branch into an open-ended question. What are your expectations for the outcome of our testing and our workup with Fluffy? Right? Like, what do you want to see? What is it that you're, that you're aiming for? Because maybe we've never asked that question. I would say that perhaps we should be asking that in the beginning, right? What are your expectations? Um, but, but we can do that at any point in time. Yeah. And you could tweak that question to that endpoint too. Absolutely. You could. Yeah. And you can ask it again and again. Right. Um, and then I think, you know, some of this other stuff like dissatisfaction, you know, our front end staff will often hear things like I've been waiting here for an hour. Right. And you could say, yeah, I, I can see how frustrating this must be for you. And I, I, you know, I apologize is an okay thing to say. Um, I can imagine that you you feel like you're less important for us right now. I can assure you that you're on our list um, and let me go find out for you how much longer it's going to be. Or what kind of time do you have available for waiting today? Right? Because again, some of it is figuring out the perspective of that person so that you can help them in the best way you can, right? And not always will you be able to meet their expectations and that's okay. But knowing what they are and getting them out into the open and then being able to discuss them, I think, is the most important. Yeah. There's a lot of layers to this. If You know, it feels like at, at all positions in a veterinary clinic, different scenarios, different circumstances that you can role play this with. It's, it's pretty yeah. fascinating. I love it, though, because it's taking all four parts and bringing them together through these conversations, yes. open-ended questions, all of them. Absolutely. And that's why, you know, that's what's so cool about these to me and like a, why I'm so nerdy about it, because I think that they really do like one kind of helps the other, helps the other, informs the other. Right. And then ties back to the first one again. Um, and so it's really it's a holistic toolbox that helps you with pretty much anything. Um, and if, you know, if people are ever wondering about, you know, how could I tackle X, Y, or Z situation, just know that there are out there other suggested like mnemonics and things like that to help you through a certain situation. Um, and so, you know, there's, there's training available, that sort of thing that people can access for themselves or their teams um, to get better at this and to be able to practice it. And, and I would say that, you know, it's a really worthwhile investment in money. So um, the first place that I would go if I were running a clinic and I wanted to do this for my team is I would look at the Institute for Healthcare Communication. Um, and, uh, and they're a really good spot to get started. Fantastic. Thanks, Jordan. Okay. Well, as I guess we're, we're wrapping up, this is the final one, which is makes me a little bit, little bit sad, but thank you very much, Jordan, uh, for all of these, for all four of these mini episodes, they've been very valuable. Um, I guess as we wrap up this final piece on empathy, we'll, we'll end with another challenge. How can, what, what, what would be your challenge to those listening to practice their empathy and their communication? 
So I gave you the 7% number. I said that only 7% of veterinary visits have an empathic statement in them. So what I want people to do is watch for these opportunities. So listen, use your active listening skills and listen for these opportunities to express empathy. And if you need to practice in the mirror a few times, do that. Um, because I think that, you know, you will, as I mentioned with open-ended questions and with nonverbals, you will notice a change in both the nature of your conversations, but also the outcomes of them. If you can focus on these tools that really lead to, um, you know, allowing clients to feel seen, heard, and accepted, um, and, and, you know, really focus on that connection. So listen for the opportunities, use your skills to make intentional empathy statements, and see how your conversations change. Thank you for listening to the Veterinary Project Podcast. As a recap, on behalf of our hosts, the Veterinary Project Podcast will be releasing new episodes weekly. So be sure to tune in as we bring you more conversations aimed at helping you enjoy a life well lived. If you enjoyed what you heard on the show and you want to stay in the know, please like, love, and or subscribe to the podcast on the listening platform of your choosing, as we're available on all the usual suspects. If you know of others that may benefit from these conversations, we'd love it if you please share the show with them, as this will help us grow our community to reach more and more veterinary professionals. Speaking of which, if you are a veterinary professional and would like to get connected with more like-minded individuals who are joining us on this journey, please send an email to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com, and we'll invite you to be a part of our private Facebook group. General feedback, requests for information, or perhaps requests to be a guest on the show can also be sent to the Veterinary Project Podcast at gmail.com. Dr. Michael Bug and Dr. Jonathan Light, thank you for listening to the show, and we'll catch you again next week for another episode of the Veterinary Project Podcast. Bye for now. Bye for now.